Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is, the cousin Greg to my Tom Wamsgam. Remember, kids, you can't make a Tomlet without breaking some Gregs. <laughs> Teal. How's it going, buddy? Okay, I don't, I'm not going to get into a whole uh, succession digression here, but I will say that uh, I, I saw some people disappointed that Greg turned out to be who he was all along. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, at what point did people think Greg had morals and was like the good guy in this story? He. Uh, he was no he was always just trying to get go on whatever side he thought was going to win and he always wanted to try to make sure that no matter what happened he'd be on a winning side yeah that was it that was that's all greg ever cared about uh he was not a nice goofy sidekick comic character he was <laughs> just as terrible as the rest of them if anything tom wamsgam is trying to mold him into him i think yes yes absolutely yeah <laughs> i like the way he put a sticker on his forehead <laughs> So anyhow, yeah, that show ended and I enjoyed it. I did. But we're here to talk about summer movies. Oh, oh, okay. All right, fine. Yeah. Have it your way, Burger King. <laughs> yes. So people, believe it or not, we've actually seen one of the new movies in theaters and we're going to talk about it today and then a couple of movies that in some strange way have a relation <laughs> to this. Um, this movie is, I don't know, I guess it's for kids and adults and uh, the, the other movies are definitely films from our childhood and yeah. I think that we want to talk about those because we couldn't say enjoy a movie uh, like Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse the way a kid might just because we're adults. Uh, but that's the film that made $133 million at the U.S. box office uh, since the 5th of June and then another $88.1 million in other territories, uh, grossing a worldwide uh, $221 million in a week. Not even a full week, right? Not even a full week. Um, yeah. So it's a pretty big hit um and we both saw it over the weekend in the theaters and uh so that's what we're going to start off talking about and i guess what i want to first do is really hear from you greg i mean uh <laughs> teal uh what your thoughts about spider-man across the spider verses and tell me about you know your experience seeing it etc okay so uh went with the whole family everybody went everybody went okay and all four of us went and uh we had seen the previous one the first one uh in the you theater. raved about it i raved about it uh but i remember actually i didn't oversell it to you and then you saw it and you were like why didn't you tell me how fantastic this was <laughs> yes uh, but I think that was the reaction of a lot of people because it did it did well in the theater, but not it didn't become a, a monster smash. But as the last few years went on, people like myself caught it streaming and was like, oh, I wish I'd seen it in the theater. So I think that contributed to the sequel, everybody wanting to see it in the theater. So my daughter and her friends watched it again a couple weeks ago, the first one, and they all loved it. And so I think, yeah, the movie really caught on. Uh, it stands out from all the other superhero movies that are going on these days. You know, Marvel is just, every Marvel movie looks and acts the same, pretty much. You know, there's a range maybe between Ragnarok and Winter Soldier, but not, not a very wide range. And so this first Spider-Man movie kind of came out and just... Uh, took a different approach visually, uh, script-wise, and the whole idea of the hero was sort of 
approached a little differently uh, through this Miles Morales character. And so I was psyched for the sequel. And we went to, I don't know, we saw it in Super Screen, DLX, Dolby. I don't even know what. Oh, you got all the, all the mad frostings. Yeah, I got, exactly. And uh, so nice, big, loud theater. And uh, opening day with, uh, I don't know, I was expecting a bigger house, but it was maybe half. Can I can I con- just step in there and ask that that's interesting and I just because I don't want to forget this. So I was surprised at how much money it made because when I saw it the next day and I went with my family and we saw it in IMAX, the theater was only about half full. Right. So where I mean, I guess it's I guess it's on a lot of screens, probably. It is over four thousand screens, but I guess this is my thought. Now, did you have to pay extra for this theater? No. Okay. Well. Obviously, you have to pay extra for IMAX. Right. And my thought is that people were going and taking their families, obviously, Mm -hmm. in massive amounts. But I think that probably because it's an animated film, they may have thought, I don't need to pay extra premium for this. I could see it in in the theater, yes, but do I have to see it on the biggest screen? And that was what I found after it. I mean, we were going to be, we were in an area. Uh, visiting family for a reunion, right. and that's why we could access the IMAX theater. But having seen it on IMAX, I, I said, well, I probably could have seen that on just a regular theater, and I would have been just as fine. Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't even know if it's playing in 3D. That's the thing is, I thought it was going to be in 3D, and it doesn't seem to be playing in 3D. They, they kept it as a 2D. Okay. Well, I think that's probably better. I mean, although some of this animation would look pretty cool in 3D. Yeah, but maybe because it's, a, you know, animation, I mean, the idea of this, a lot of these spider verses that the comics are 2D. So right. Yeah, exactly. Keep in keeping yeah. with that style, they wanted to keep it 2D. When the uh, credits came up at the end of this movie... Yes. There was a lot of grumbling in the theater. Okay. People, this was the spoiler I wanted to give you before you saw it, but I didn't. Yeah, but you should have just rephrased it. In I that, know. And said, oh, there's no end credit sequence and that is a sequel. But I already knew that, that this was going to be a sequel, like that this was going to be a continuation. Okay. I didn't know that. So the to be continued, I, uh, well, I, um, <laughs> I, I had my suspicions because of the pacing of the film that I I realized about a half an hour before it was over that there was no way they could wrap the story up in the amount of time left. I mean, I guess the thing is, though, this is my expectation going into these things, yeah. that there's always going to be a sequel no matter what. These are like, you know, cash cows. So, But this is half a movie. I don't, I, I don't know if I felt like I felt. Is it because I knew that this yes, was kind it's of a because part you knew. one? So, so everyone in the lobby afterwards was complaining about this. It, people were, uh, I, I, you know, part of it is it was opening day. Maybe people didn't know ahead of time, but people were grumpy about it. I was not grumpy about it. I was like, awesome, another movie. I'll, I'll show up. You Midwesterners. <laughs> yeah, but people were grumpy in the lobby. It was hilarious. And they were all complaining about this uh, to be continued at the end. And I mean... It basically opens up a whole new storyline at the end. It could have been a post-credit sequence, but the even the there really isn't any resolution to maybe anything outside of Gwen's storyline with her father, uh, which I think does have a really nice resolution and was one of my favorite 
animated sequence or sequences in the film in terms of the animation and you know so much of the animation is so flashy but the scene with Gwen and her father reconciling at the end is the emotions are uh, are expressed through color and lighting and it's really nicely done and not quite as flashy as other moments in the film but you know, some of this animation, I got to say, two hours and 15 minutes is uh, a little overwhelming. Well, there's a lot that gets splashed on the screen. Yeah. And of course, when you're seeing it at home, which I saw the first one, you know, I, I remember the first one was awe because I'd kind of never seen an animated film yeah. treated this way before. And, but you could also, I think we had to pause for something and it, it couldn't watch it all the first day. So you, you wouldn't, you know, it wasn't like I wasn't overwhelmed. Right, right. Yeah, so this I, I can be a little overwhelming at times. There were a few scenes where I thought I was maybe getting a little numb uh, mm. to the action. But for the most part, I really enjoy. I mean, I kind of sat there with a smile on my face the whole time because, well, part of it is having my kids there. I see it through their eyes, right? So that, And you know that you've had that experience where you watch a movie with a kid and it's sort of like, okay, I can sort of see the kid angle on this. Uh, so I enjoyed the film, but uh, I didn't. I, I'm not super enthusiastic about it. So uh, Gene over here, do you give it a, a mild thumbs up? Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of people would enjoy this movie. I think, as far as summer movies go, I imagine this. I I don't plan on seeing the Flash movie, but I imagine the Spider-Man movie is better. And I, I don't know if there's any other superhero movies coming out this summer, but if there are, I don't plan on seeing them. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, this is it. This Spider-Man, this is my summer superhero movie. Uh, Mission Impossible, I don't consider Ethan Hunt a superhero. Just like Indiana Jones, you don't consider a I superhero. I don't consider a superhero. So Spider-Man is really it for me for this summer. I, I, I sort of made that decision early on. And as a superhero film which is not my favorite genre for a number of reasons, I feel it's one of the better entries recently. Now, critics have been creaming themselves over Oh, I think a little too much, maybe. But yet, when I read most of these reviews online, yeah. I feel like it's always being reviewed in the lens of a whole, like, like comic book slash superhero movies. It doesn't yes. seem like they're ever being weighed on whether it's a good movie or not. It's whether how great a superhero movie it is. And it's so strange that pattern that falls befalls all of these yeah. comic movies. They're never judged as a film. Which is what I just did. And I feel like you did judge it as a film. Okay, so now here's me, Roger Ebert. Okay, Roger. Is it uh, Gene gives this film a mild thumbs up? It's a mild thumbs up, yeah. And me, I'm giving this film a thumbs down. I thought you might. Yeah, <laughs> I'm giving this film a thumbs down, not way down, but I loved the animation, though it was pretty much what I was expecting after seeing the first movie. Yeah, so I was a little disappointed with that because I was actually had some expectations that they would take the animation in some new directions. But it felt like exactly the same movie visually. It's not like that was one trick, but it's like, okay, I've seen it. And it's beautiful animation. It's still very cool. But it's nothing that I wasn't already having seen. I saw it in the first right, movie. Right, so you don't have that sense of awe. But I have to say, 
that I didn't care for the story because, again, just the way that all reviewers are reviewing this film in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or all these other comic book movie universes, I feel the story in itself was so wrapped up in its own mythology about all the different uh, variations of the comic books over the years and stuff that... I don't know. I don't feel like I really got a story. And I was having a hard time remembering the first movie and what <laughs> yeah, I happened was there. I was too. And I did like how it opened where we were focused on Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman. Yeah. It was interesting. And then I like how after like you get like, a, I'm like kind of waiting for the other part of the story to ever kick in. It almost kind of repeats as if it's like starting again. Yes. But yeah. Then my, so I liked that. But however, I really found this dot villain. I, I I've started to come to the conclusion because I'm not a comic book reader right. that the that the villains in Spider Man suck. <laughs> I don't like any of the villains. They're all stupid. There's <laughs> the thing is Spider Man is really more kid oriented, right? He's your friendly neighborhood Spider Man. So the villains are supposed to be a little bit goofy. The only one who's maybe actually scary would be kingpin um and of of course we're gonna get you know people yelling at me because kingpin is a daredevil villain or i'm sorry i'm not a comic book fan we were you're expecting you're expecting the backlash i'm expecting the back i'm (laughs) yeah expecting the backlash. i'm laughing come at us bros (laughs) so but uh yeah go ahead Oh, no, no, I'm just, I mean, you know, I, there were some things that I like, found amusing. I, I love Daniel Kaluuya's uh, Spider-Punk. Yes, that was awesome. Yeah. And I'm assuming, I just make, you know, and I and I also liked um, Issa Rae's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was cool. Um, so I liked these things, and I'm assuming, I'm just assuming that when we go into these different uh, Spider-Verses and they have these numbers that they somehow correlate to issues of spider-man where they did other things or maybe uh, that's possible i I, so i think what's going on here in this movie is this whole mythology of uh, and frankly i'm sick of multiverses well i think this to me is like okay i've now i think this was a great way for these marvel people to kind of excuse some of the mistakes and things and the plots and it makes it easier to like say well we can bring different actors and things into the mix because it could be a different universe and i feel like marvel's trying to solve that because they're really starting to run out of steam and maybe it's the only way that they could ever sort of uh, reboot things like iron man and whatnot. yeah yeah because they need some kind of reboot and but the problem so i think what's going on in this film is that the multiverse represents the canon and yeah miles is not part of the canon he's the uh he's the original anomaly so he's not even supposed to be spider-man which i thought okay whatever but so then it's a question of whether the individual can create their own story that goes against the canon can he make decisions that go against the canon? It, can he be an individual? And so that's ultimately, I think, the message of the film is like, yes, we need to pursue our individuality despite all these other versions of ourselves, which I think are uh, metaphors for things we could have become, but we've chosen this route through our lives. Uh, so I think this is, and to some extent, I think that's fan service too, right? Like I'm analyzing it, but I'm not saying this is a brilliant theme, 
that I think some of that is fan service. It's like, let's just make a movie about comic books. And that's really what it is. Like, it's not, yes, there's some human and some character issues, but it's nothing we haven't really seen before. I mean, we've seen Spider-Man lose a loved one over and over again, which is what the movie's about. And it made me think of Batman. It's like, uh, how many times do we need to see Mrs. Wayne's pearls hitting the ground? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, like you I mean, you're saying all this stuff, and it's like, yeah. First of all, fan service. Look, I know there's a lot of fans of these comic book movies. Yeah, I get that, and I know that there are comic book fans. However, and I, I don't know. I haven't done the research on this, but has any of the last 15 years equated to Bonanza? comic book sales or are the same individuals that love comic books pretty much the same individuals that love comic books like has that audience really grown or is it just that americans have an appetite or worldwide they have an appetite for these superheroes but it doesn't necessarily equate to them now going back and pouring through this canon that you speak of because i don't i i i don't know any my whole family doesn't know anything about these spider-man uh comics uh now my family <laughs> did like it a lot more than me but i don't think most people do i think that they're like you know i think that there are those annoying people on the internet that love comics that would get mad that you changed a bunch of stuff and so you know they keep that close to the vest and try to tell right. these stories but most people would be shocked and surprised to see how much of these stories are played out in the comics Oh yeah, they're all played out in the comics, and and this mo the movie is actually about comics. That's the theme. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of the theme and the meaning of the film. That's the subject of the film is comic books. And like you're saying, you don't know how big an audience that is. So how many people are really relating to uh, to the, to that central theme? I don't know that I really relate to it because I don't care about the canon. When it comes to superheroes, I don't. <laughs> That's what I think. My biggest problem with this movie is it was so devoted to. I, I think it's proud of itself on how clever it could be doing a story about the canon stuff that, like, take that part away. And I don't have much to go on here in this movie. I, and I just, you know, you talked about how the action wore on you after a while. Yeah. It did. I, like, there was no. Yeah, it's funny. It's a, it's an animated things, but it's just, I didn't find any in, interesting set pieces in the entire film. I was not as into the action. The the I liked the Gwen Stacy character a lot in this. I I uh, related to her story with her father and ending up with this gang that she kind of that she she loves the leader, but then he turns out to be kind of uh, I guess a villain of sorts. Yeah, well, that's my whole family's pegged him as the villain for the next movie. Okay, yeah, I think he is, but he's also. <laughs> he's also the ultimate spider-man fan because he wants everything to go by the canon right do you see how pointless all of this sounds <laughs> somebody but pick up the fact that we're the only two people that are that are laying this out for, for what it is yeah so the villain's entire goal is to maintain the spider-man canon and Miles is saying, no, we can do stuff outside the canon that involves other people and w whatever. So it, with different lives. And uh, so it, it, Miles is an argument for expanding the canon. And the villain is like, no, we can only use what's in the comic books. You can't be part of our reindeer games, Miles, <laughs> yeah. because you're not part of the canon. 
Well, it's true because the Canon is a special club that all the Spider-Man hang out in, and they don't let Miles hang play in their reindeer games. And so, I think this is a club I don't want to be a member of. <laughs> well, but that's what Miles decides, right? And then, so the second movie is him creating his own narrative uh, while this villain tries to drag him down and stick him back in the comic. Did he book. though? I don't know. See that part, I just don't know if that was very strong, and I could care less. This is a sad thing. It's like I no, I was saying that's going to happen in the second movie. Oh, you mean the third movie? The third movie. That's what I mean. That's why I, I'm I, like, I, this is the second movie. Sorry, I meant the third movie. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Again, where you're getting, you're giving it a mild recommendation. I'm giving it a mild pass. Yeah, and my mild recommendation is based largely on it being a summer action adventure superhero entertainment big screen. Uh, you know, the sound and music is great. It's a visual delight, and although I got worn out by quite, I just wish the movie was half an hour shorter. An hour and 45 minutes would have been perfect. Two hours and 15, it started to try my patience a little bit in that last 20 minutes. And my daughter's, too. She kept turning to me like, I'm hungry. When's this going to be over? Because one, they people don't know how to create condensed stories anymore. And two, right. people expect more for their money, so they give them more and almost too much more. It's exhausting. Yeah. Unfortunately, this experience... I saw they showed on the IMAX screen the trailer for Flash, and that has been formatted for IMAX screens. So it looked incredible because it's just filling the entire screen. And it right. made me kind of go, oh, if I could get here to IMAX to see it, maybe I would want to see that in the theater. However, I know I'm not going to get back to IMAX to see it, so I won't. And I don't know if I'm going to see it in the theater now, because after seeing Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I'm thinking maybe I'm done. I'm done for the summer. That's it. That was my superhero film. So then they also showed a trailer for the new Indiana Jones movie. And there's a mistake. Talk about a mistake. Why the hell did they preview this movie at Cannes so that it could get a mixed reaction a month ahead of the movie. They zapped all the excitement out. You don't do that. Yeah. I mean, how, do I have to go in and tell these people how to make movies and market them? And it's not getting good reviews. No, that's what I'm saying. But you but you stupidly should have waited a little bit closer to the movie and not shown yeah. it at Cannes. But seeing it on the IMAX screen, it made me go... Oh, we were all we were all set. Like that was sort of like end of June. We were going to go and see it in IMAX, and after that, I realized, oh, we're all going to see it, but we'll see it at one of the big screens up north and not drive three hours away. <laughs> I'm not seeing it in IMAX now. Yeah, well, and I right now it's got a 52 on Metacritic. That's not good. No, and of course now my ex sadly my expectations are way down because you know let's face it, the Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it can only go up from there, but I mean, yeah, I have low expectations. But anyways, we're getting off track because we, we, we've just <laughs> talked about Spider-Man, but now we're going to take you back. We're going to take you back, kids. No, I want to point out how little time we spent on Spider-Man, and that's, I think, indicative of our... We spent 20 plus minutes on it. Okay, but there's just, you know, that's a lot for a big summer movie. There's just not a lot to talk about with Spider-Man. I've said everything I have to say. We're going to go back 40 years, people, to a time when 
when if you were making a movie or even pitching a movie about comic books or superheroes, <laughs> you were on shaky ground, okay? Because there was a time where they thought that was just for kids, and if you're going to make yes. it, well, it should be made like a Batman TV show. It, it should be exactly. jokes and yucks. So this first film we're going to talk about, and I'm going to just point this out. This, these are not my ideas, okay, people? Um, Teal, <laughs> you came up with these recommendations to tie in with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I thought you were insane, but now that I've seen them, A, I do think you're insane, but I also think that you're genius because these were kind of perfect to talk about. Okay, Disney. Disney, yes. before they ever got into the touchstone business and started doing like even PG movies or PG-13 right. or rated R, they were always about kids. Uh, the movies got progressively worse uh, unless they were making one of their animation films, which by the 80s, they were doing crappy animation. Oh, yeah. Their animation when I remember, I think it was like that's around when Don Bluth left, right? Yeah, because uh, he didn't like the fact that they were like, you know, using cheap methods to produce yes. the stuff. So their their live action things were always, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to 1981 here. I was 11 and I grew up on these Disney movies. Um, yeah. So I was still sort of a sucker when they'd be advertised. But Disney just wasn't a, a studio that could get with the times and in terms of special effects or just story development, change of audience tastes. Yeah. And even theater owners by this point, uh, when a Disney was doing a live action film, it might not hit the primary markets for a while. It could take a few oh. weeks and then it wouldn't even be in the main theaters. And that's the case with this film called Condor Man. <laughs> I saw trailers for this, right? And there's this guy in the condor suit and the music, the condor man. Yeah. And I wanted to see this movie. Okay. And I'm waiting for it to come out. <laughs> and I checked when it was actually released. It was probably in LA and stuff in early August of 1981. It didn't show up in Boston till the end of August. And by then it was a pairing. They weren't even doing it as like a big release. <laughs> it was a pairing at like smaller theaters and drive-ins with the Aristocats. Okay. That is hilarious. <laughs> they were packaging it. I was likewise very excited for Condor Man because I had the novelization of it. Well, there was it's funny the novelization was actually based and again I know what the real story is, but it was based on a book. Um, not Condor Man, but they took the story from something and then they probably did not. That's even crazier than a novelization of the movie, which was based on another based on a book. book. Yeah, so I read the novelization and I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, how did I read the novelization and want to see the movie? Well, it's because I saw it like second run or whatever it showed up. I don't think it was ever in first run. That's what I'm saying is that I looked at the paper and it's... Yeah, so I definitely saw it at a later date. and <laughs> But I was so excited to see it because I knew everything about it. I loved all the gadgets and stuff. I thought it was so cool. And I was uh, really begging my parents to take me to see Condor Man. And then I saw Condor Man. This is not something my dad would take us to. So, like, when I saw... Condor, I, I open the paper and I see that it's like out in theaters, but I see that it's only like the buckets of theaters that they showed <laughs> in the ad were like these faraway little places. And I'm like, what the hell, man? And then I'm like, oh my God, look, my favorite drive-in is showing it with Aristocats. 
And I got my mom to take me and my sister and uh, my grandmother went that weekend and saw it. And I remember just being profoundly disappointed for the very sole reason that I thought this was about like some kind of superhero guy. And there's only like two scenes with him even dressed as Condor Man. <laughs> and, I just, and then after that, I didn't remember anything about the movie. Oh, okay. I remembered, I was surprised watching it again, how much I remembered and how well I remembered it. Uh, and I think because of the novelization and <laughs> it had to be because I remembered pretty much nothing. Yeah. I remembered quite, I remembered lines from it. And, uh, but I, the, the thing that really stuck with me uh, and as a kid, and I found to be true again, is that the main character is really annoying. He's well, awful. And, and as a character, he's just this, this dumb goofball who uh, it, and it makes no sense the way he plays it because he's just so casual and cool about everything. Uh, it, it <laughs> the character makes absolutely no sense. It's a guy who writes comic books who some, I mean, it's such a, it's such a, <laughs> it's such a boy fantasy, right? Is that your your doodles of your contraptions that you make when when you're a kid are suddenly financed by the CIA to send you to fall in love with a beautiful Russian woman and who's going to defect who's going to defect so it's it's such a child a male child fantasy in every way it's kind of hilarious but then the the character that's supposed to embody our aspirations is this really annoying loser all right, we got to stop there for a second. Okay, so a little un unpacking here. <laughs> um, well, first off, right, because I watched it again. You, you gave me the challenge, and I watched this movie again. And, like, they don't really even explain the, the situation of how he is even involved with the CIA. He's got this handler or best friend, James Hampton, who, by the way, played uh, the Teen Wolf dad um, in Teen Wolf. And I don't, and they're in Paris, right? But yeah. like, there's never an explanation of like, has he been working with the CIA all along? Like how does, they don't really define that relationship. <laughs> Not at all. And then the next thing you know, he's got a briefcase handcuffed to him and he's going on some mission. And yeah. And they don't explain, like they don't, they don't really explain the audience why it was important for him to pass it off to him i almost felt like part of this was the same plot of ishtar well i felt like there were some scenes missing this movie is 85 minutes long that's you know you got a point that may be the problem <laughs> yeah no i think some things were were cut out of this movie and they trimmed it down to the you know the bare minimum of what would possibly make any sense at all uh, and they kept in their their set pieces, you know. There's some, uh, and and not only that, this this movie was shot all over Europe, right? Yes, it was a very European production. But they actually like shot this stuff in Paris. They, you know, they they shot this stuff all over the all over Europe, and they put some money into that. There's a big boat chase, combat explosion sequence at the end there's some car chases uh, uh you're, you're saying so many things and i want to comment on all of them well my <laughs> my point is though that there's just so many things packed into this 85 minutes yet it still feels like two and a half hours kind of amazing <laughs> yes it does so okay now this guy you talked about the main guy the the the, the, the character's name is woody wilkins and yes which is already annoying it's played 
possibly in the flattest, most uninspired, poorly directed performance by this uh, actor, Michael Crawford. And you're like, well, who yeah. the hell is Michael Crawford? Well, in the 60s, he was in this movie, <laughs> The Knack and How to Get It. And he's terrible in that. Yeah. Um, he also was in uh, Hello, Dolly. Um, so he yeah. was like, a known, he, he could sing. And this guy would have been forever forgotten and maybe just a B actor. However, yes, he came to fame as the original Phantom from Phantom of the Opera, the musical. Yes. Other than that, we would have just always remembered him as Woody Wilkins from Condor Man. <laughs> and he, I, I think he was, like, again, it's poor direction, I, I want to say, is that, first of all, Michael Crawford's, like, British, and he's doing some goofy American accent. Yeah. And he just, there's like, there's like a style to comedy and timing, and it's evident how poorly it's done here when he first comes up against these bad guys that are trying to stop him right meeting with barbara carrera and when he orders this like flaming drink and there's these really terrible <laughs> jokes about like the triple the triple drink he's gonna get and then you know him kind of like accidentally sort of saving the day but the physical comedy is terrible and i'm just well, thinking well this just is so disney <laughs> the flaming drink bit he picks it up and he's gonna be all smooth and yeah. blow out the flames yeah. but yeah. but even just it, but even just blowing out the flames it could have been a funny gag but his timing is off on blowing on it and so it's not funny and then like the fire flames out this is stuff that's supposed to make a four-year-old <laughs> laugh but what four-year-old wants to sit there and watch a spy movie they want to watch a movie about a guy who's in a condor suit that flies around and you know right. you're in trouble you know you're in trouble when the opening credits are live action mixed with an animated character as soon as that happens <laughs> you know you're gonna be in really dark waters um <laughs> and then the, you were talking about these goofy lines my favorite of the bad lines and i wrote it down because i just i should have written down like a thousand lines but my favorite and it's and it's said so bad is if you bring the dip i'll bring the doskoyevsky <laughs> i love that and then that like that's the line that uh, that everything turns on at, at the end it, there's a callback to that and it's like oh wait she really does love me because the dip and the dostoevsky which that by the way is confusing too right <laughs> the whole the whole thing is confusing, but <laughs> but you don't get to see him in the condor suit until the last few minutes of the movie. Well, no, and the beginning of the movie, too. And the beginning of the movie, yes, yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, during that stunt, he almost drowned. Oh, really? Yeah, and then and then after, and he said he'd do another <laughs> take, and the director said, no, we're bringing the stunt man, and... <laughs> <laughs> um, but you mentioned these chicks. So they want it to be like a, a, a Disney version of a James Bond movie. And believe it or yes. not, the, the suits at Disney thought that they were going to have a hit on their hands and they had a planned trilogy. And the movie did so poorly that that just stopped the trilogy. <laughs> um, but there's these, you know, this is 1981. And this is the problem. And this is actually somewhat the problem of the next film we're going to talk about is that in 1977, Star Wars came along. Yes. And not the only, it changed the expectations for what kids our age expected in terms of visual effects. Yes. And we didn't understand, and it's actually, I still to this day didn't quite understand it until uh, last year I watched this amazing several part documentary on Disney Plus about ILM. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it yet, but. It, 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 it floor, it'll, it'll floor any fan of special effects, but there, it actually illustrates the reason why all these other movies were so bad is that 
ILM were the only people that could figure out how to do these effects. And so movies were still getting made and the producers had expectations that the special effects would look as good as Star Wars, but no one knew how to do them. So that's why when you got like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, the special effects were amazing. Anytime that ILM touched these movies, and it wasn't until maybe some like of these ILM people started to leave and go other places did some of those special effects get better in other movies, but nobody could do them. So Disney was still relying on the same crappy rear projection action scenes. And the way those car, the car chase, which is so funny, out of nowhere, you got those black Porsches. I know. And then, (laughs) and the guy with the ball bearing eye. That was the best part, right? That guy's eye was cool, right? Yes, I I remember that very clearly from the movie. That was a callback. When that happened, I'm like, oh my God, I remember that guy. And I remember the (laughs) eye is super creepy. But the funny thing is, they aren't just matching black Porsches. Somehow, at the very end of the movie, Oliver Reed just knows that they're going to be in a boat of the, the car turns into a boat. So he has, in the waiting... Around the corner, he has a, a matching set of black speedboats. Yes, to go after him. They're Russian. They they got things. You know, they, they can do this. And of course, Oliver Reed, right? This guy, he's picking up a paycheck here. This guy has the darkest tan I've ever seen. Yes. He's like enjoying himself at the casinos at Monte Carlo because <laughs> that's where they're filming some of this. There was definitely something going on with this movie where the producers were thinking, let's go spend the summer in Europe. And <laughs> that's how you entice an Oliver Reed, place where the gambling and the drinks are plenty. <laughs> now, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention the scene in this movie in which uh, the two, uh, the Condor Man and his CIA buddy, uh, dress up as uh, Arab sheiks. And yes. uh, infiltrate a KGB party, and I just don't think you could get away with that kind of costuming or disguise today. You don't. I, it, uh, There's so much tells- of this movie you can't get away with. <laughs> That's the best part. When you see a film like this, you can't believe that like this was a Disney movie with all of these inappropriate yes. things in the movie. There's so many inappropriate things in the movie, and uh, but I do think this would be a better movie with a different lead actor. I, I think it would have been a few degrees better, but <laughs> uh, there's no saving this film. Oh, and the special effects. At the end, when the Condor Man is flying around, you can see the wires. It's not blue screened. They, <laughs> yeah, well. they, have, they have like a helicopter flying them around that's out of frame. <laughs> so I was really impressed that that was, <laughs> that was not blue screened. Um, things we could pick apart but here's here's the funny thing about this is i couldn't help but noticing right barbara carrera her character's name is natalia oliver reed plays this russian guy krakow but the way he looked and the way she looked there's another movie that was just waiting for them in the 80s that didn't get made which would have been a live action boris and natasha movie in the 80s with them playing boris and natasha that would have been so good. And, you know, I think there were plans for that movie at, at various times. But I mean, they made one, I think, in the 90s, but it, it would not as cast as well as it would have been with Barbara Carrera and Oliver <laughs> Reed. <laughs> oh, God. 
Condor Man. I had such fond memories, and uh, the movie, watching it again, matched my memories. It, uh, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> it was exactly as I remembered, and it was so disappointing because I thought all those gadgets were so cool. And, uh, you know, I wanted to build Condor Man wings and flap around in the backyard, and, and then the movie was just this horrible depressing sad drive-in disaster yeah that's the reason why i didn't remember it very well because when i'm sitting in the back seat of a car where we have a yeah. tin speaker attached to the window <laughs> at the drive-in and the movie doesn't offer anything a kid would want to watch I was pretty much tuning it out. Like the screen was just, things were happening. And so I didn't really remember anything. So I, I did get more out of it this time. And I, I kind of thank you for, you know, making me watch this because it was a hoot. Um, and it is then a hoot. The music, of course, by Henry Manzini is something yes. that is very memorable. It's way more memorable than the movie. And I was torturing my wife with it all weekend where I was, uh, I found it on Apple Music and I was playing the theme and going, she, Condor Man. Did she watch all of Condor, Condor Man? Oh, no, no. I mean, she would, like, because I watched it over a series of days when I had right. time and she was there watching, you know, just in the room a few times, kind of like looking up going, are you kidding me? This is the worst. I got to say, after sitting through Condor Man in one sitting, I'm totally prepared for anything Bellatar sends my way. <laughs> Seven hours of Satan Tango is way more tolerable than um, that's what That's Condor what I'm getting at. That'll be one sitting. I can do seven hours of Satan Tango. With all these movies that I've watched, those art films, it is nice to take a break once in a while and show how pieces of crap are made and see one of those <laughs> films. Um, and sort of in the terms of like how good a movie is, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is like far better than Gondor Man. Let's get that. Straight. It is. Yeah, it is. But they are both dealing with this comic book issue, which is, is it a kid's movie? Is it for teenage boys? You know, Alan Moore would say that superheroes are always for boys. I don't know if that's true. Does Alan Moore have a take on 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 superheroes for girls? Does he does, does he feel like girls shouldn't have have those superhero models? No, he thinks they should, but he's saying that that there's uh, toxic masculinity around superheroes and that it leads to uh, fascism. Yeah, there's no real fascism mentioned in. Um Condor Man. But the next film that we have actually does have some interesting trappings of fascism. And, you know, this is the this is an extra movie that you had me watch. Uh, I've seen it many times, and I felt like I could have a conversation without watching it, but that wouldn't be any fun. So yeah. I actually, um, I had seen this movie many times before, but I thought, all right, well, I should rewatch it again. I'm glad I did because it helped refresh uh, my memories. But this is a great example of the way I think um, comic books slash superhero movies would have been handled in the 80s. Yeah. And if, unless they did, and they didn't do huge and they were kind of geared towards kids, but maybe parents could watch them and get a few yucks out of right. it. It's definitely a staple of our childhood. Um, I'm kind of curious to your experience with it because mine, mine might have been a little different going in, but we're tackling uh, as our final film today. The 1980 camp, as I say, a camp sci-fi classic, uh, Flash Gordon, directed by Mike Hodges, who did get <laughs> Carter in the early 70s and went from that to this. 
somehow got looped into this movie, which I think makes it maybe stranger than it would have been otherwise. Uh, it, but it, <laughs> you know, it's a very odd movie, and I think that it knows it's campy and and leans into that a little bit at times. I I don't see how it, a little it bit. Couldn't... <laughs> I think it leans into it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it it knows it's camp, it knows it's corny and cheesy and silly, uh, but it kind of revels in that. And in its badness, it has some some charm. Uh, But yes, you're absolutely right about the special effects. My kids, you know, and I kept thinking about it, I was like, I'm about to make them watch 2001 again. Uh, and the effects in 2001 versus <laughs> versus Flash Gordon is, is just uh, one looks real and the other looks like film that's been through a photocopier too many times. I will say, though, watching a nice uh, print widescreen yes. copy it, it, better than like, you know, after seeing it in the theater, um, which at the time I remember not, you know, thinking it wasn't Star Wars quality, but I didn't think that it was as bad when you see it big projecting the theater. And then yeah. subsequent viewings, especially when you see it like on TV, pan and scan, you're like, what right. the F is this crap? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, now seeing a widescreen copy again, it, it's weird. You know, you can just, the halos around the characters always denote that there's some kind of green, blue screen in the yes, back. Yes, they have a blue halo around all their edges. It just looks like they've been cut and pasted into this background, and they have. You know, it's funny. I've, I have a different relationship with this movie every time I go to it, and I found this time appreciate different things about it because yeah. I know I know all the, the big points of the movie and some of the set pieces um it also has action towards the end that gets a little boring i find myself bored by it every time but there's definitely a lot of imagination at play the costuming is just phenomenal the same person who did the sets did the costumes they're italian yeah, it just, uh, it, it's really a visual treat. <laughs> I mean. Well, it, also a campy treat. The idea that he's wearing that that tight shirt with its flash <laughs> on the front and that Dale Arden, she's wearing like a matching, uh, you know, power suit of white yes. and red. <laughs> and the princess, the princess has so many costume changes. It's hilarious. Uh <laughs> But the, the movie the also fir- was very randy. I mean, it for a PG movie in 1980, this thing is oh. like <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, they're like turning they have they have a harem of sex slaves. I like, feel like this movie is designed to make 10-year-old boys have wet dreams. Is what I think it was designed for. I think you're kind of I mean, it's quite a and I was so excited to see this too and uh uh, my parents took me to see it, and then I saw it in a second-run theater, and I, I saw it several times. So you saw times. it twice when it was – three more yes. times. Uh, no, I saw it at least twice in theaters, and I knew it was corny, you yeah. know, as a kid. It was – the – the camp didn't escape me, but I did enjoy it because there's something very joyful about this movie. It's not a depressing rote exercise. Uh, there's, there's, they're having a fun time. I mean, the the head of the condor, uh, not the the Hawkman. Oh, Brian Blessed is having a blast. Yeah, he's having a blast. He's almost like um, he's almost like as, as if Sean Connery got that role. Like he's yes. playing it with that kind of enthusiasm. <laughs> Fly, wingman. <laughs> yeah, and then Timothy Dalton as the 
<laughs> the prince who's kind of in this Robin Hood outfit. Yeah, uh, Prince Baron. The, the thing that stuck in my mind the most from this movie, and it actually freaked me out as a kid, was that big tree stump with the scorpion inside and you stick your arm in. Uh, that thing actually really freaked me out as a kid. Let's stop there for a second, All right? because I'm glad you mentioned that. That tree stump sequence and some others, and and the sequences that follow when he's with all those people, yeah, that is what to even today, it's the storytelling and the adventure in the story is still compelling and makes it interesting to watch every time. Yes. While you said you were very excited about seeing this film as yeah. a kid, I saw the think I saw the trailer and I immediately was like, no, no, because I was such a snob. I, right. I know because I had seen because Empire had already come out and and Star Wars, so I'm like, this isn't Star Wars. This is gunk. I'm not going <laughs> to see it. But then my best friend Glenn Goddard at the time, he saw this movie and he loved it. And all the kids that at the school that had yeah. seen it over maybe Christmas break or something, all came back saying, "Oh, it was so good." My friend Glenn was a bit of a drawer, and he would sketch out the stump and the scorpion thing in there. And he would do sketches of Flash Gordon and um, Prince Baron on that awesome little uh, platform with the spikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so into And then he would do pictures of the Hawkmen. And so he would like draw these little adventures from the movie. And, like when we'd be next to each other, like during whatever drawing yeah. time. And because of that, I'm like, I got to see this movie. And my dad refused to see it. Like, he just right. thought that was crappy. Or maybe he went with his, like, older his brother or something and said, oh, it was cheesy. And right. so I ended up catching it at a second run theater with my sister. And I remember, I, I thought things like the football thing with the eggs, I thought that stuff was silly. And I thought Topol's character was silly. But I didn't <laughs> find the rest of the film that silly as a kid. Right, And then later I saw how campy and hilarious it was, especially the performances of Sam Jones and Melody Anderson. Oh, they're fantastic. There's something about that, by the way. Melody Anderson's performance, I, I don't want to say it's bad acting. I just want to say that it is a very, very intriguing performance. I can't put my finger yes. on it. It's not quite doing comedy, but it's just, there's something, it's like, it's not right. It's off. But I can't take my eyes off of it. <laughs> I feel the same way. And yeah, and then uh, who plays the princess? Uh, can't remember. Well, some Italian person on yeah. Alamuti. Um, and, and I mean, there's like, there, I mean, this thing, it, this thing is almost begging for like a rated R treatment going on because it's so on the cusp. Before we started watching it, my, my wife turned to my kids and said, okay, this is 80s PG. <laughs> yes i know well it definitely would have been pg-13 had it come out a few years later yes absolutely yeah and then it probably would have been even more innuendo when we're talking about the performances we have to mention max von Sydow. okay i have a question on this yeah okay he plays a emperor ming now my question to you is does he get a pass on playing asian because he's from another planet or does he not get a pass i'm giving him a pass you're giving him a pass, even though I noticed a lot of plot similarities. And, and again, since this was first and it's from the comics, but I recognize now that one of my favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China, yes. borrows heavily from the plot of this movie. It does, huh? 
but yet the actor who's still he's in his 90s now he's in everything everywhere all at once and he does yeah. a lot of voice acting he who um you know plays uh lopan would have been a much better emperor ming that's a good point yeah but i so i was having this question too and i don't actually know i'll need to do some research but i don't know if the ming character is supposed to be asian come on emperor ming and the and the well, way that sh- they the makeup come on i'm just <laughs> no i mean yes he's from another planet so you can say anything but come on he was clearly inspired by what i mean is in the comics i haven't done my research on the comics i know that they started in 1934 uh specifically as a marketing counterpoint to buck rogers they were like we need some something we can sell so they came up with this flash gordon character they made comic books there was a serial movie uh i think there's 14 parts of it so there and then there's a point uh it's in the 40s where flash comes back to earth and fights fascist and then goes back to fighting (laughs) of course So there's this element of Flash being this sort of patriotic football, all-American. There's a propagandistic aspect to it. And I don't know, but I would be willing to accept that Ming is part of that foreign uh, threat to American apple pie. I would agree. And again, I haven't done my research history either, but watching the movie again um, over the last couple of days, I was struck by how much it felt like it was a commentary on fascism uh, with the Ming character and the way he had set up the way he rules his universe or his yes. world. And just even from, you know, the the way that the sort of his po- secret police squad and the monitoring of everybody and the, the very interesting costumes and disguises and the pageantry. The symbols. And yeah, the, sim- the symbols and the pageantry. I, I was I was very taken by that. Now the, you said 1934, uh, uh, Japan was already um, yes. starting to become aggressive against China, and so again, when somebody's doing a comic, the, the reason the comic book started might have been one one reason, but the people as they started to write yeah. the comic were probably influenced by events, and we know that in like I guess the Italian version, Federico Fellini was doing the comic, correct? Well, <laughs> so. The Flash Gordon was banned in the comic was banned in Nazi Germany and uh, fascist Italy. So they recognized something was going on with the comics. They recognized something was going on. Yeah, they thought it was American propaganda. So in Italy, because the character was popular, they did their own version of Flash Gordon. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, who cares about copyright, right? So they just they just did their own Flash Gordon and Federico Fellini wrote for it uh, and later said that everything you learned about uh, storytelling came from working on Flash Gordon. But he was yeah, he was writing this and I don't I would be fascinating to find those and see if there is something propagandistic about them or if they were just kind of filtering out the American propaganda. Uh, But it was its own version of Flash Gordon. Fellini in the early 70s had plans to make this this Flash Gordon movie. I mean, it hadn't been written yes. yet, but like that, he, he was involved and George Lucas was desperate to do a Flash Gordon movie and couldn't 
because they wouldn't want him and Fellini right. was involved. And so he's like, well, I'm going to do my own Flash Gordon movie, but with better effects. And that became Star Wars. But the movie's written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. And this yes. guy, I guess, because I watched an interview that Melanie Anderson did, and, and she was very interesting. Um, she's had so much fun over the years with the fan base from Flash Gordon. Oh, she really that's appreciates great. it. She she's actually she doesn't do films or anything anymore. She is a an addiction counselor and specialist. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but she uh she just has nothing but affection for the whole experience and uh, she said that while there was improv and, you know, she got to improv the go flash, go <laughs> when she was cheerleading them on during the, uh, the egg, egg toss. <laughs> the um, most of the lines were from Lorenzo Semple Jr. Now he wrote three days of the condor. Yeah. Papillon, the parallax view, but he was also the primary writer on the entire Batman TV series. Fascinating. And that, you can feel that campy energy is in every aspect of Flash Gordon, which I guess had started out with an idea that was going to be a much darker. And when he came in and provided the script, it had all of this humor in it. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the the effects don't bother me that much in this movie because it's so campy. Like, it, it it's dated now. It's super dated. But... It fits in with the with the, if they had gone for more realistic, darker, and had these bad effects, it wouldn't hold up as well. But you know, there was early on, right before the egg toss scene, uh, when you see the court, right, and the, all yes. the different uh, kingdoms and their different costumes and stuff. My fifteen-year-old daughter just said, "This is the best movie I've ever seen." Oh, that's great. Because, and it's because of the the costumes and the you know I know it's they're blue screening in the clouds and everything, but the way they did the 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 sky and the clouds as sort of these liquids floating around was just really cool. There's so much joy and inventiveness and imagination in the visual aspect of this movie, and yes, that fight scene towards the end. But it, what's funny also is that it has like the Ewok village sequence. It has the cloud city sequence this is all the stuff from the comics that inspired george lucas and he's the one who was ripping off flash gordon that's what i kept saying to my 10 year old while we were watching it no actually <laughs> lucas took all this stuff from the comics uh, so it was interesting just to see, yeah, that how that, uh, what a big influence Flash Gordon had in being the inspiration for Star Wars. Yeah. Now there's a few other things I want to mention. We were talking about the fascism. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, watching this, I suddenly see a different lens looking at this, uh, this, this sort of allegory to fascism. And then in the brain sucking <laughs> sequence of Topol, there's like stuff and images of um, Nazi Germany and Hitler and the uh, the bad sort of uh, sidekick for Max von Sydow is uh, Clytus. And he says, now there, there's a guy who showed promise. Yeah, there's a picture of Hitler and he says, that one showed promise. <laughs> yeah, and now the interesting little side note on that, that character. Um, well, first of all, also, this movie, and I never really picked up on it, I think, before, but I did this time. There's some very specific homages to The Wizard of Oz. Uh, one oh, is the yes, hourglass. Yeah. And then there's yep. the melting villain at the end. Yes. And these are definitely 
Wizard of Oz references. Even the court feels like Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And the colors and the adventure kind of having to go along. So I found that interesting. But the guy who plays this Clytus guy, the the big baddie, uh, second in command, whatever, is this guy, Peter Wingard. Yeah. And when I was reading up on Peter Wingard, this is crazy. So he was in an internment camp. Wow. In China from the Japanese in the 30s. Wow. With J.G. Ballard. Who wrote Empire of the Sun. Yeah, based on the experiences in the prison internment camp. Wow. That was crazy to me. That is crazy. Um, The movie also has these crazy appearances. It has Richard O'Brien from Rocky Horror. He's in it. Philip Stone, who played Grady from The Shining, is in it. Yes. Towards the end. And then this is my favorite. I don't know the actor's name, but I was shocked because... He was just everywhere, I guess, in uh, the early 80s. The guy who plays the boat captain in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Catania. Yeah. He shows up in the movie. He's the guy that tries to kill Mox von Sydow's character, Ming, but then he gets frozen and then Ming stabs him. <laughs> I was like, that's Catania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I, and this lead guy, Sam Jones, what's the story here? I mean- Oh, I can. I mean, this is. I feel like I, we haven't talked about Sam Jones much because there's so much that's been kind of written about him over the years. And yeah, he had that resurgence with that funny performance in um, uh, Ted with the little talking. That's uh, right. Bear. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you know, he was this pretty boy, twenty-six-year-old guy, and he had tremendous fights with Dino De Laurentiis over not getting paid. Oh. So he wouldn't. He refused to show up for a lot of the sort of second unit reshoots and stuff. And he refused to go in the looping room to do all of the post work that gets done. Oh wow! So they dubbed his entire voice performance for the whole movie with somebody else. With somebody else to, that that mimicked how he would sound. I did not know this. It's an amazing dubbing because it doesn't sound dubbed the way those no. movies normally would. And apparently the guy who did it, he was like a professional actor. He really tried to to capture, right. you know, because they recorded the stuff. They just had to re-record it because a lot of times you can't use it. So he had his right. actual voice performance. So his goal wasn't to like dub in an, a new voice. He was, His job was to try to make it seem like wow, Sam Jones. That is fascinating. I never knew that. It is. And that's why he maybe goes like, you know, sort of like, hey, Ming. I mean, Sam Jones's voice just sometimes <laughs> the performance isn't that good, but it's all right. part of this awesomeness that is this movie. And that's the same thing with like, again, Melody Anderson, who's just some of her line readings are just, hey, I just got engaged here. or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps because sometimes her character motivations are pretty weird. And (laughs) so maybe the performances. So you agree with me that this is a pretty fantastic movie. I do. Uh, I mean, it's again grain of salt. It is. I do. I think it's a great movie in that there's actually some things going on behind the surface. There is a homage to the spirit of the comics and in the way movies were done then and when they were kind of trying to bring a comic to life, like the way the, the ship, they were like even designing the ships to look like, you know, the comic looks like the comic book, and well, and not just the comic book, but the uh, the serial. 
I'm just kind of floored rewatching it again. I'm just like, you know, we've been talking about these comic book movies and these Marvels. This just feels like an entire wealth of material to kind of make a new series. It's a good point, and it's a different. Well, I don't. I mean, I think we're just exhausted at this point, though, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, but isn't everybody looking for what IP, right? Intellectual property. Doesn't somebody own Flash Gordon? <laughs> somebody should do a Flash Gordon remake. I think that's. We should be the ones. <laughs> but it would end up just being like another Marvel movie, and that's what's great about this movie is that it's very unique. You know, it's it's not. It doesn't look like any other superhero movie. Well, it was set up for a sequel at the end, but of course it didn't do well enough to get a sequel. <laughs> but it has its but it has its own thing going on whereas, you know, we're we're into what 43 Marvel films at this point. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so many. I don't know how many it is actually. It it might be 25. It could be 30. I it's somewhere it's more than 20 and I think less than 40. But that's only because they have a wealth of comics to work from yes. that they have all these stories. Whereas I think that Flash Gordon, I mean, Star Wars runs into trouble because it was a movie first and then they've had to expand the world and then they can't, they haven't been able to expand it to the point where people, because everything that Star Wars does seems to have to always have a throwback to the existing right. canon. It never fully expands to something people are interested in. But Flash Gordon, I didn't read the comics. There's got to be more beyond just the Ming, right? Pretty sure that the uh, comic strip ran into the 90s. Yeah, so there's got to be a lot of stuff there. It ran from 1934 to 1993. Which, by the way, how does... what Do they have, like, oxygen there? Because he's flying around in the sky in this other world and, and doesn't seem to be uh, phased by that. It's complicated. I can explain the physics to you, but I don't think we have time on the show today. Okay. Because those were the things that always kind of pop in my mind, like, <laughs> hey, like, what's going so, on here? The the battle on the ship at the end that you're talking about where he drives up his rocket cycle and yeah. uh, they're like climbing onto the ship and, the sh you know, it's like a spaceship, but it's open air. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it really reminded me of the final battle in Avatar Way of Water. Mm. Right? With the Hawkman attacking this ship. And Fly, wingmen! <laughs> oh, the Hawkmen were great. Yeah. So, uh, anyhow, I, I highly recommend Flash Gordon to those who... Uh, you know, are, are up for camp. If you if you like camp, this really is a classic. Wait, did he say fly wingman or did he say fly hawkman? Hawkman. Did he? Fly hawkman. <laughs> yes, fly hawkman. Oh, Prince Voltan. Oh, and no, and, and then he says dive, dive, dive. dive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so great. Yeah, and my kids loved it. So you watched it with the family. I watch it with family. My youngest, my 10-year-old, uh, my 15-year-old my loved it. The 10-year-old said, ah, I thought it was kind of predictable. And I'm like, well, yes, it's everything has been based on this. <laughs> they thought that Flash was going to die at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, it follows a very standard hero's journey kind of, you know, it, it, there's nothing nothing in the structure that's outside of uh, the standard uh hero movie oh and then of course we haven't even talked about one of the things that has like for years 
outlived the reputation of the movie and now i think the reputation of the movie is, is getting new life in the last like decade or so is yeah. is the musical score by queen <laughs> yes well and i kept thinking about because there's a condor man theme song and there's a flash theme song and the flash theme song is awesome it is awesome but here's the funny thing right is that did you notice and maybe it's because they never did a score before, but they like telegraphed the score to like very specific beats of the action in a way that you don't hear in most scores. That's true. Yes. <laughs> like the uh, the egg football game is, is a great example. <laughs> a great example. <laughs> and then when she's supposed to be, uh, when uh, Dale Arden is supposed to be marrying Ming, they're actually playing some rock and roll uh, queen version of like, here comes the bride. <laughs> That's exactly what they're playing. Yep. And I'm like, what, do they have that song over there in Planet Ming or whatever? Dude, you're overthinking it. I know, but I couldn't help but thinking these things as I watch it. But I had the same thought, too. And then I quickly said, I can't have that thought. The entire movie will fall apart if I start having those thoughts. That's what's best about the movie now is that I appreciate is that that's what makes it camp fun is like I have mm-hmm. these thoughts and I think it's hilarious. And it is. Oh, and we were laughing through this movie. I mean. And, and and it was it, we were not laughing at it. We were laughing along with its joyfulness and silliness. We it, we I guess we were laughing at it a little bit, but not because it's bad, but because it's just it, it, the movie is so good spirited. It's way more fun. And believe it or not, out of the three movies we talked about today, Flash Gordon is the one that I recommend the most. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I just. I can't explain why. I guess I loved the first Spider-Man a ton. I just Me didn't too. get anything new out of the sequel. I agree. I still enjoyed it. So that's why it's a mild thumbs up. But I don't really disagree with anything you said about it. I just, you know, uh, wasn't, I, I, you know, I, I guess I had higher expectations than I should have. But, you know, it's just another summer movie. There aren't that many I'm looking forward to this summer as it is. So Down luck summer for teal. Yeah, but that's my one superhero movie. I'm done with superheroes. Uh, I want to get my Condor Man t-shirt ordered up. (laughs) And I want to walk around in my uh, 50-something dad body in a Flash Gordon (laughs) t-shirt. I'm going to get a super tight Flash Gordon t-shirt. Yeah, (laughs) show off my dad bod. I love that he even had multiple Flash outfits. I don't think I recognized that until this viewing where he had this red outfit that had the oh yeah yeah well he's take he's taken prisoner and then they give him a flash shirt (laughs) no no wait wait okay i'm glad we mentioned this This is the best part of the entire movie this time around when when they when 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 they fake poison him to death yes the goons like all in their the little devil outfits i guess the um their their version of ognaughts they've made a whole coffin with the flash logo and everything yes. for him. It was awesome. I'm like, wow. Like, there's a real craftsmanship here on the planet, man. I loved that, too. Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. It, the movie is having so much fun. But if you think about it, right, and knowing the writer is also the writer of the Batman TV series, those yeah. are the type of touches that were all over the Batman TV series. Absolutely. And uh, along with, you know, that the egg, uh, the egg toss scene that we keep coming back to the football egg fight scene brawl uh, is right out of Batman. Absolutely. There's even those kind of camera angles that they use. Yeah. I mean, you know, just even talking about it, it's like, this is what I would like. 
I think that the next time, or if a time comes up when Flash Gordon is being shown at some kind of retro screening and I can yeah. get to it, I'm going because you got to know that that movie is going to play really well with an in tune audience. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It would just be a blast. Yeah. Here's a couple of things I want to mention, a little housekeeping, whatever. So speaking of audience participation, this Friday, I am going, and again, by the time you hear this, it might have already happened, I am going to see a special 70 millimeter print screening of Boogie Nights. I'm really hoping the audience will be big for that. And we have a brand new look to our website, uh, stuffweseen.com. So check it out. Um, we're hoping once now that that's out there, Mabel, give us some inspiration to do some new things on the site. Um, and as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerned, or uh, want to talk to us about movies or even be like, I want to be on your show, you can get in touch with us at uh, Jim and Teal at StuffWe'veSeen.com. Did I do all the housekeeping or do we have more? I think you got it all. Okay. You don't have any more final housekeeping thoughts? No, just uh, thanks for listening. All right. Well, I really appreciate uh, Teal's recommendations. Maybe he should just be picking the uh, the uh, topics for the show because this was a lot of fun. Even though Condor Man was a hard sit, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a long eighty five minutes. Yeah, I was happy it was only eighty five minutes. Believe me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, all right, people, go uh, see some stuff, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>